Well, good morning. It is good to see you all. Thank you to the Tress family band. Next time, I think we get Liam with his violin and give Tegan like a tambourine, and we'll be all set. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go to Psalm 122. Psalm 122. Uh, this morning, we'll be finishing up our little mini-series through the beginning of the Psalms of Ascent uh, that we've been covering over the past uh, three, a few weeks, and so uh, we are slowly landing the plane uh, back into the book of Acts, and so uh, we, one of the reasons we chose to do the Psalms of Ascent is just to kind of get us back into the routine of going, with preaching whatever's next kind of a deal, also training, you know, getting uh, you back in knowing that, hey, I can read just the next part, verses ahead, knowing where we're going to be uh, the next week, and so uh, this will be our last Sunday in the Psalms of Ascent. Maybe next summer at some point we will visit these because we still have, what, 12, 11, 12 more to go uh, to finish up the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, so next week will be a standalone uh, where we kind of talk about the fall a little bit. Uh, the 28th, uh, the last Sunday of the month, which is the same Sunday that we're doing a small group kickoff, we will do uh, a recap Sunday of where we were in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts. And then first Sunday of September, we'll dive right back into the book of Acts. And so I think uh, just kind of give you a heads up where we're going. Uh, so last Sunday, we had a family meeting following service where we uh, affirmed, uh, we voted in our next point team. I'm going to tell you those names again. Uh, it's Josh Nowell, Richard Sherman, Daniel Carley, Jeremy Stevens, Courtney Edwards, Liza Reed, and Charlie Deloach. And so as a church, we voted and affirmed this team to begin to uh, We'll see where the next point as far as our buildings, our facilities, and things like that. And so this team will begin meeting not this week, but next week, uh, and then uh, we will hit the ground running. So be in prayer for this team as they serve, uh, they serve us as a church. They're, they're not just some random committee. They are serving our current membership and future membership uh, and things like that. So make sure uh, that we are bathing this team in prayer as we are uh, hitting the ground running. So... Anyway, let's jump into Psalm 122. Uh, begin, I'll, I'll remind you that these are the Psalms of Ascent. And so this is what pilgrim Jews would begin to sing as they journey to Jerusalem uh, for different festivals or feasts. And so uh, you could remember like when we started the book of Acts, how they were in Jerusalem uh, uh, for uh, festival for Pentecost, right? Uh, and so as those pilgrim Jews would have been coming to Jerusalem, they would have sang these song, psalms of ascent or the songs of ascent. They call them ascent because Jerusalem, as Luke talked about last week, was literally up. And so uh, no matter where you came from, you were going up to Jerusalem. Uh, but also it's a spiritual side as they are ascending into the presence of God. They were going to Jerusalem, which Psalm 122 is about Jerusalem. And so uh, they were going to the place where God's presence was, where the, where the temple was. And so they were ascending there, not just physically, but spiritually. They were, so they would sing these songs of ascent. They would recite these uh, as they began their journey. And we, a few weeks ago, we started in uh, Psalm 
120, where we talked about how these psalms of ascent don't, don't start on the mountaintop. They start in the deepest part of despair. And as we walk through, you see that this, this person who at one point when he began could see just how he was unhappy being a sojourner in a foreign land, how eventually, as we talked about last week, his eyes were able to, to move off of the hills and the one who what made the hills, right? And so we see this ascent began to happen. And so in Psalm 122, uh, let me read, it's, it's just nine verses. This is a song of ascent of David. It says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem I built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Sorry, there the thrones of judgments were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and my companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of those, uh, so for the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Pray with me, Father. We love you, God. We thank you for your love for us, God. We pray as we now turn our attention, our eyes, our minds to your word, God. I pray that you you open our eyes so that we can see, our ears so that we can hear, and our hearts that we may believe that which you have for us this very morning, God. May as we as we do so, that your son and his finished work will be, uh, will be made much of. And God, I pray that uh, we are encouraged by your word, that we are challenged by your word, God, that you will, you will teach us what worship is and, and how it affects our life and what it results in. So God, again, we, we pray that you receive the glory this morning. It's in Christ's name, amen. This morning, this Psalm 122 uh, it may be hard for you to see, but it, it's about worship. It's about them being excited to go, going into the Lord's house. Remember, these were pilgrim Jews that, you know, we take for granted that every Sunday we actually come to the house of the Lord. Uh, for these pilgrim Jews, they didn't go to Jerusalem every day. It was a big deal for them to go to these festivals, and they were excited when, when, when their brother said, hey, it's time to go to the house of the Lord. It's like, like in your mind, imagine, uh, I think I painted this picture a few weeks ago of, of this, this, this dirt road, if you will, and there's these, these pilgrim Jews that are journeying to Jerusalem, and then there's a guy in his field working, and the pilgrim Jews, his, his, his brothers come by and say, hey, we're going to the house of the Lord, right? And so that's that picture where they, I'm, I'm happy at how joyful I was. I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord. So this morning I titled this sermon, Worship, What It Is, What It Does. What it is, what it does. We'll see two things, and I'll say this is not an exhaustive understanding of what worship is, but we see some pretty specific things about worship, what worship is and some results of worship. If you're taking notes, number one, the first thing that we see is that worship is an expression of joy. That worship is an expression of heartfelt joy. Look what he says in verse one. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The anticipation uh, David had whenever he had the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord. There was great joy to go to the house of the Lord. I, and when I think about this, I think about Evie, even yesterday, asking me when we were going on vacation again, right? Like, 
She actually calls it cacation. She can't, some reason she can say a V, but this is how she chose to say vacation. Uh, it's like, what, what, do, you know, what are you talking about? The, the water park we went to, like, no, baby, we're not going there. But when I think about going on vacation, you think about the kid and you get them in a the car, like, you're not in the car, what, for like two seconds. Are we there yet? I'm so excited. Are we there yet? I'm, they're, they're anticipation of getting to where they're going. And that's the imagery that the, the David's writing here is he was excited. He was, there was great gladness in the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord and church should I connect the dots here that we should set, we should exhibit, we should experience that same joy. Any opportunity we get to come to the house of the Lord. The great joy in going to the house of the Lord for these, four, these pilgrim Jews who have been outside of Jerusalem, the opportunity to go and worship their God, to bring sacrifices to their God. There was great joy in going to the house of the Lord. Their worship was an expression of heartfelt joy. So here's the question this morning. What causes this great joy? I think I wrote it down. It's going to come on the screen. It says, a deep realization of grace is what produces a heartfelt joy. Like, let's pause for a moment. What, why is worship a, an expression of heartfelt joy? Because we deeply realize how undeserving of the grace of God that we actually are. Like, maybe we've, maybe we've been to church long enough that we've forgotten that. I contextually, go back to Psalm 120, where the psalmist was saying, man, I, I'm so tired of being among these foreigners and these outsiders. And now he's like, I have the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord. There's just great joy in the opportunity. And the reality is the deeper we understand our lack of <laughs> Uh, deserving of grace, the more our joy should increase that we even get to know the Lord and have the opportunity to come into the house of the Lord. It's, this should be a shocking reality to people like me and you. That the God of all creation invites us into his presence. That the God of all creation invites us to come to worship him. By the grace of God, we are accepted into his presence. Christian, this morning, do you understand that you're a child of God by the grace of God? So what is worship? Worship is an expression of ultimate joy because we understand the grace that we have been given. And the reality is we, we still have a hard time. We still grow old. We still go through struggles. We still go through hardships. We still go through things that we don't understand. We still go through things that, that don't make sense. But listen to me, in the middle of all of that, we can still rejoice and yell out that I am redeemed. What is worship? It's, it's an expression of, of heartfelt joy by the grace that I have been given by God. When you and I come to understand this, that we don't, we don't just worship one hour a week. When we come to understand how undeserving, the realization of, of grace, that you and I won't worship just on Sunday mornings that we drag in at 1014 and spend 15 minutes trying to wake up and then 
Hope Justin and Luke is not going to preach 50 minutes today so I can go home and listen to me. When we truly began to understand the depths of God's grace that we have been invited, listen to me, we can see verse 1 as in I was glad, let us go. We can see that as an invitation for God to, for us to come to how, how deep, how undeserving we are for God's grace to invite us into his presence. Radically alters who we are as people. Or it should. Yes, we, we live in a broken world, right? We live in, there's hardships all around us, but by God's grace, we're a part of the redeemed. And there's a brimming joy that, that alters everything that you and I face in life. Yeah, we, we face tragedy, but there's still great joy because of the grace that I've experienced in Christ Jesus. For the child of God, we shouldn't just be cynical people drudging through this thing called life because something that we've experienced has radically changed us. And here's what's going to come on the screen because for the child of God, we're still in the gates of Jerusalem even on our hardest day. What does he say in verse 2? He says, our feet have been standing within the gates of Jerusalem. Listen to me, child of God. Even on the hardest days, you're still inside the gates. Do you know that joy? Worship is an expression of heartfelt joy, and I'd be amiss if, Christian, do you know that joy? Do you experience that joy? Is that joy your reality this morning? The, and I challenged, I think, two weeks ago in staff meeting with, with the staff, and I said, hey, when we, we go to church every Sunday, I don't know, I'm, this confession is like, I don't know how, when was the last time I, I woke up and said, man, I get to go to the house of the Lord this morning. Because a lot of times, even as a preacher, I wake up and go, all right, there's things about my sermon I got to finish up. I got to make sure this, that, and the other. And, you know, we, we come in and make sure, you know, the music's right, the mics are right, and, and things like that. And it's like, do I pause for a moment and say, man, I'm thankful that somebody said, let's go to the house of the Lord this morning. Because there are joys that compete with there are other joys that compete with this, that joy. Right? There's other joys that you and I have in life that compete with the joy of knowing the grace of Jesus and experiencing the grace of Jesus in our life. Some of you may say, like me, this, I'm not pointing fingers at you, but we could say that often we find greater joy in other places than the fact that I've been accepted by Christ into the gates of Jerusalem to use Psalm 122's language. For many of us, we'd say, I'd rather have a boss who likes me or things go perfectly according to my plan. Like that's what brings me joy. That's what makes me happy in life. That, as in everything that I've done, like I'm in control of everything or people like me or this, that, and the other. And I ask the question is what joy is ruling our hearts as the children of God? What joy do we live in pursuit of? Is it the joy of worship, the joy of, the, of worship that comes from the joy of being inside the gates of Jerusalem? Here the psalmist says, and I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We are inside the gates. There was this great joy 
of being able to come into the presence of God. And one of the saddest things for, for, for many of us, and I can say this too, is that we grow used to that grace. This grace that is the, is the, the fuel for this, this joyful worship, we grow used to that grace. I won't say the word callous, but we, it loses its effect, a power, or our, it loses our attention. Or sadly, some of us begin to even operate as we deserve God's grace. I wrote this down. It says, I will never have any other standing with God but the standing I'm given by means of his grace. We need to be reminded when we come into the house of the Lord, we come into worship, not just the house of the Lord, but contextually that's what we're talking about. When we're coming in to worship God, the stance I have before God, I only have through the grace by which he has given me in his son, Christ Jesus. So the first thing we see about worship in verses one and two is that it's an expression of heartfelt joy. Number two is that we see that worship is a, is a recognition of, of duty. Look at verses three through five. It says, Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together. So here's it's Jerusalem talk where we're talking about, you know, Jerusalem being built as a city. And it says where tribes go up and tribes of the Lord, as was the creed for Israel to give thanks to the Lord, uh, to the name of the Lord. Verse five, the thrones for judgment were set in the thrones of the house of David. So we have this Jerusalem talk, we have this picture of, this, of, this, of safety and security here, but I think the point of these verses is the, is the second part of verse four. It says what? Was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. See, not only were they, the pilgrim, these pilgrim Jews, not only were they out of gladness of the grace of God to be able to come worship them, but it was also decreed by the Lord for them to come and do that. Right? It was also a decree for them. See, see, worship wasn't just their delight. They understood what? It was their duty. It was what they were called. They were decreed by the Lord to do. This is a decree. It says it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the Lord. So it was important for Israel to remember that they had been redeemed, that it was an ob- they had an obligation to worship him, to give worship to him that does do his name. If you go to their histories, soon after coming out of Egypt uh, at Mount Sinai, they were revealed the law where God says, you will worship no other gods before me. They were decreed to worship God. It was what God had told them to do. But the reality is that law, this idea of creation, Worshiping the creator wasn't a new law. It was from the beginning, it's the norm of creation that you and I, we were what created to to worship God. So therefore, worship, I I wrote it as worship is first our identity before it's our activity. See, worship is not only is it just an expression of joy, but it's also our duty. Why? Because by nature, we're worshipers. Every single one of us. Every single one of us by nature are worshipers. And if we aren't worshiping God, then we're giving worship to something else or someone else. By nature, we are worshipers. Why is it our duty? Because that's what we were created to do. Our life is either structured 
by the worship of our creator or our lives are structured in a way where we give worship to the created. By some means or way, we're attaching meaning, purpose, and security of our hearts to something or someone. I think this is how I wrote on the screen is someone owns the allegiance of our heart. Something or someone, because listen, we were created to be worshipers. So therefore, something has the allegiance of our heart. We are worshiping God or we're worshiping creation. We attach meaning and purpose of our hearts to that thing. I read an article this week that said the greatest act of rebellion is not murder or stealing or idolatry. Our greatest rebellion is failure to worship God. Because that's what we were created to do. And failure to worship God is what leads to those other things. Failure to have God at where he's supposed to be is what leads us to murder and theft and all these other things. Failure to worship God is our greatest rebellion because worship of God directly uh, directs everything else that we do. And so as a child of God, not only do we understand that it is a great delight to come to, work, come to the house of the Lord to worship God, but it's also my great duty because that was the very reason I was created is to worship him and give glory to his name that he alone is due. As a child of God, we, we look at our identity and say, I was created to worship God. We can say as a child of God, I was recreated. I was born again, if you will, to give glory to God. So everything that I am and everything that I have belongs to him. That's worship. All my strength, all my being, Nothing belongs to me. It all belongs to him. I have very life and breath in my lungs to give him glory. And everything else that I've been given is just to point me to give him glory. Child of God, I submit that we must live in this sense of duty it's his decree, as we read in verse 4. Why were the pilgrim Jews going to Jerusalem? Not only was it their great delight, but it was also their duty to do that. Why do we come to the house of the Lord on Sunday mornings? Because it gives us great delight, but it's also our duty to come and worship our great Savior. It was him who decreed, love the Lord your God, what? with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. It was him that decreed you shall have no gods before me. It's his decree. And I'm not talking about legalism here. Don't start looking at me weird saying Justin is a legalistic. I've already told you what legalism is for our generation. It's just you tell me things that God's required me to do and it's inconvenient for me, so I'm slapping legalism to it. No, we have been decreed to come to the presence of the Lord and worship him. John Calvin said that the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. We were created to worship. We were created to, to give worship to the Lord. 
But the problem is, is our hearts and our depravity, we love to put something else that's more tangible that we can control as our God. Right? That's what we do is like our heart is constantly producing, making more idols for us to submit to, for us to bow to, for us to give our allegiance to. That's what our life looks like is over and over again is I'm, I'm, I'm submitting to this idol and I'm submitting to this idol. And then what happens is, is that eventually something doesn't add up or there's something we can't bear, something we can't figure out. Then we go to God and worship God, if you will. Paul David Tripp says that's idolatry in a tuxedo. Because God wasn't hasn't designed us to just come to him whenever we can't figure everything else out. Question, is your life an expression of our identity as a worshiper? Moving on. Number three, so we see two things that worship is. And I think the last two things that we see that this text is that worship produces something, that worship results in something. First thing is that would be number three is that worship results in concern for the things of God. Verses six and seven says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, to security within your towers. When I first read that, I thought about, you know, this is where pray for Jerusalem comes from, right? Like, it probably is, or pray for the Jews. Like, this is probably where it comes from. But whenever we see that word peace of Jerusalem, it, it, the peace that, the, that David is writing here is not speaking specifically of, like, a lack of war or lack of tension. Like, when we think about peace, the word he uses for peace here is the idea of things are, are operating the way that they were created to operate. And the way that God designed it to work is how it's being worked out. And so when he's praying, if you will, he's praying for God's work to be done the way that God has designed for his work to be done. With me? So in, in this worship, it results in a concern for the things of God, the way that God works. And so concern for the things of God, God's church, God's work, God's people. The things are going the way that they were created to, that everything was working properly. And I wrote this down, when our hearts are controlled by the worship of God, then I care for the work of God, the people of God, the rule of God, the kingdom of God. Whenever, whenever God is being worshipped, whenever our hearts are controlled by the, by the worship of God, what happens is naturally I grow concerned about the things of God. Namely, the church of Christ and the work that God is doing. Whenever I'm worshiping God, then my desire is for God's work to be done the way that God wants it to be done. That God will continue to work. I care about the church because that is what, that's where God does his work. Has worship of God placed inside our heart a deep concern for the church of Jesus Christ? Has the worship that we say we've experienced, has it produced a genuine care for the people of God, for the work of God, for its mission, 
I'm going to ask you this. Do we, do we pray for the leadership of the church? Do we invest our time and our money so that, so that God's work can continue here in this area? Because strangely and sadly, and we, I try not to talk about this often, maybe I should, but because we live in an age of what the smart people call consumeristic Christianity. That my, I come in worship for God, I'll come in to worship God, but my desire for the work of God and the church of God does not increase at all. That my worship is all about me. I think about it like this. I like to golf. Uh, and I prefer going to Academy in Hattiesburg, right, to, to buy golf balls, if you will. Say I go in there and they don't have the golf balls that I want. I have no, like, moral, fundamental commitment to Academy. If they don't have what I like, you know, I'm going to go down the road to another one. Or you, wherever you, I remember you can't do it at, I, I remember used to doing it at Sawmill when they had J.C. Penney on one side and Belk on the other, right? How many times have you sprinted from J.C. Penney to Belk trying to get something real quick, but you have no loyalty to either one? You just need somebody that can give you what you want. Sadly, that's the state of a lot of churchgoers is that there's no fundamental commitment to a local group of bodies. So therefore, if I like this preacher, I'm going to go there. If I, I like this music, but the preacher's eh, or they have great kids facilities. I don't care what the preacher's preaching as watered down stuff. As long as they have a great kids ministry, I'm still going to go there. Why? Because Today's age, what we call worship, is not producing any commitment to the things and the work of God. It's all about what I get out of the deal. And that's sad, y'all. Because we see this psalmist, he's, he's so excited to get to Jerusalem to worship in the house of the Lord. It's his duty. And when he gets there, he's like, hey, and I'm praying that Jerusalem, it becomes the place the way that God created it to be. I want God's glory to be known here. I want him to be worshipped here. I want his work to continue right here. Why? Because his worship gave him a great concern for God's way of doing things and God's work here on this earth. And I'll be honest with you, the confession, we as a church, I saw a video put out this week of a pastor in Dallas talking about the pressures that leaders feel of churches who we feel pressure to be that thing. We feel pressure. This is honestly. We feel pressure to be the church that answers all the things that everybody's looking for. And it's exhausting. And I decided like two and a half years ago, I ain't chasing that anymore. And I'm not going to lead us in a way that we're chasing whatever the next cool is. I told you about the book I read when I was 18 that I really wanted to be cool, but I couldn't ever really be cool. And the, that title of the book was Blessed Are the Uncool. The reason why is because if you understand that cool is not what it's all cracked up to be, because why? Cool always changes. By the time you reach this cool, you're, you're late in the show. It's gone. So understand you're not cool, and that's where the blessing is. 
I was like, man, sweet, awesome. But that's the same idea of churches. Whatever the next, this fad, by the time we get there, it's done with. We got to move on to, and, and I think it's Ed Stetzer maybe that says, whatever you win people with is what you win people to. So if we win you by a fancy stage and big lights and this, that, and the other, well, dadgummit, we got to keep changing that thing because you're going to grow bored and there's a church down the road that offers it better. Sorry, I'm preaching for a second. None of this is in my notes. I'm getting a little fired up. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying that this is worship. I'm thankful for where God's brought us, church. I want to, I want to say that. God, uh, I see the word, the, the Lord working and leading us to, to this worship that we're talking about. I see people who are committing to this group, this, this body. We were blown away when we walked through the starting point stuff. How many people said, yes, we'll commit. We're committing to the, to the people of God. I'm encouraged by that. But the psalmist, what we see is that as he worshiped, there was concern for the things of God. This consumeristic Christianity is driven by self-worship. It's about what I need. Rather than being driven by a calling to the work of God, people of God, and kingdom of God, and I wrote it down like this, but we, we at Crosspoint, we are driven by a calling, not consumerism. We are called to the people of God. We are called to the work of God. We are called to the mission of God. And as we worship God together, we will, we will be grow more and more concerned that God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So we make sacrificial choices to commit ourselves to the work of God and the church of God. We say to ourselves, I want to be a part of the work what God is doing. So I'm committed to the purpose of the kingdom of God. So I relate that we love the work of God because we worship the God of that work. Worship, when we're truly worshiping God, it will create in us a concern for the things of God so much that we would commit to God's work here in a local place. True worship of God does not produce selfishness. I've said this often, that good theology leaves no room for pride. Because the more that we see Jesus, the more that we see God, there is no more room for me to think too much of myself. And I think a good church culture, it, does this, it, it produces this, this love for God and less about what I get out of the deal. And more about how we, with one voice, worship God and how we as one body minister to this community and how we as one body serve and love one another, encourage one another. Everybody with you, which leads to number four, worship will result in community. Look at verses eight and nine. So he speaks about Jerusalem, the place where God's presence was, where God had designed for him to be worshiped. Then he moves just from, a, from Jerusalem to specific to who? His brothers and companions. Verse eight, he says, for my brothers and companions sake, I will say peace be within you. So not only is he's praying for Jerusalem, for where God, to, where God will work, but he's also saying, hey, for my brothers, I'm praying that that peace is within them too. That the way they were designed to work, God is working that way. To my brothers and companions, I will say, peace be within you for the sake of the house of the Lord our God. I will seek your good. Love of God always produces what? A love for others. 
He says, I will say to the Lord, peace be within you, brothers. And what I've come to understand oftentimes is my problem to love others is usually not a problem with actually loving others. There's a lack of love for God in my own life. When God isn't in his rightful place, neither will people be. Because the biggest, how can I say, the biggest, the person we worship most other than God would be who? Ourselves. And we put worship of self first, it puts a stress on loving other people. Let's be honest. When it's about me, it makes me loving you a little bit harder. Because I come into this relationship thinking about what you can do for me and how you add to my life. And when you can't give them anymore, don't need you no more. Anybody ever been a victim of that? Or guilty of that? When worship of self at first is, I move to you because I love me. And I see something in you that I need in my life. But when God is in his rightful place, and my heart is ruled by him, we will naturally love others. And we will care for their walk with God. You know, the 28th, we're having a church-wide fellowship. You ever thought about why we call, why we call like, eating together fellowship? <laughs> or even what is fellowship? You know, ever thought, like, what's different, like, fellowship than, like, just going to a baseball game with somebody? Why, why is it when Christians get together, we call it fellowship? When a church gets together, we call it fellowship. When it's just our other friends, we're going to hang out. Is it any different? And the question is, is you know, do we truly love God's people? Do we care about others' relationships with Christ? This is the different, differentiating mark between what fellowship is and just friendships. Is that deep within me and you, as we commit ourselves to one another, in which we did when we signed a covenant at Crosspoint and said, hey, we will commit to God's people, is that now I am genuinely concerned about your walk with Jesus. I'm really concerned about how you're loving and treating your wife and your kids. We sign to one another that your spiritual health is also my responsibility. So if I see you down, I see you making a shipwreck, I have the obligation because I am your brother in Christ, specifically here at Crosspoint, to try to step in for you to make a train wreck of your faith. See, whenever we're truly be worshiping God, whenever, whenever we are truly worshiping in this duty and delight, if you will, not only will we grow concerned for the things of God, but we'll also grow so concerned with the people of God that we will be concerned about how their relationship with the Lord actually is. 
Do you love God's people? Do we look for a way to be an encouragement to people, to be a burden bearer for people? Aren't you glad that there are some people in your life that just come along to be a burden bearer for you? We can give testimonies and thankful for these people in your life. But are we, if you're a child of God, it isn't just some of us, it's, it's all of us are called to be this for one another. Is our life open and giving to others? <clears throat> and I also wrote this down. There's a flip side to that. Is your service to others out of worship for God? All right, there's a flip side to that as well. That we'll begin to find all of our value and our identity in this side of things, and we haven't worshiped God at all. And so we have to pump the brakes and check ourselves here. Because sometimes we're a bunch of doers and not beers. Right? Identity before what? Activity. So what we talked about, and so I know there's, there's two sides to this coin, but is our, what is our motivating factor? Because when we worship God, our eyes will always, listen to me, I really believe this. There's this tension or this struggle that I have of how do we 